0: Hello, I'm Justin Wheeler, and welcome to this episode of Nonstop Nonprofit. Innovation. What does innovation mean? Where does it come from? And why is innovation important to your nonprofit's impact? Today, I'm talking to Brooke Codney, American Heart Association's National Director of Development Innovation, about how AAH, a worldwide leader in the nonprofit sector, relies on creative zero gravity thinking from its global team. From finding her job through a pretty traditional and now kind of outdated method, a newspaper listing, to being a leading innovator at American Heart Association, Brooke has guided AAH's culture of innovation, culminating in an innovation center, a dedicated function within AAH that has led to transformational growth for the organization. She hasn't done it alone. American Heart Association's secret is its staff. They've got a collaborative collection of fresh eyes within the organization, and rather than being intimidated by all the different perspectives and ideas, American Heart Association is tapping into it, from the CEO on, through their boots on the ground. American Heart Association is almost 100 years old, and there's a reason why they're not just a leader in coming up with new fundraisers and cool ways to engage with donors. They've made an art of changing the way we view something as fundamental as health, Listen into to my conversation with Brooke, and you'll see why Fundraise and American Heart Association make the perfect pair when it comes to cultivating a culture of innovation. Let's dive in. It is your number one priority to ensure that your business can continue to deliver on its mission, whether it's this year, next year, and beyond. I'm
1: always so baffled when I when I do webinars. There's always somebody at the end who raises their hand and says, I'm the development director. Should I have access to the budget? <laughs> I'm always like, yes, you've got to know that.
0: The best thing that we can do is just raise as much money as possible and then give it to the people around the world. If
1: you're going to be sustainable, you have to have a multi-channel strategy to reach all of these different generations of donors, however they want to be reached.
0: The best, thing you can ever do as a nonprofit leader is spend as much money as possible on your story. And it snowballs like any peer-to-peer campaign. The more people that view this content, the further and further it grows.
1: Then you're doing it wrong. Okay. That is unacceptable and that is not the way to run a board.
0: The more nonprofits can give their donor base that experience of the impact that's being made on the ground level, there's nothing else that you have to give someone. This is Nonstop Nonprofit. Brooke, thank you so much for joining the Nonstop Nonprofit podcast today. How are you doing?
1: Oh, I'm great. Thanks so much for having me, Justin.
0: Absolutely. I'm really excited today to talk about just the broad concept of innovation, as you are uh, no stranger to this concept. Before we jump into today's topic, I'd love it if you could just tell us a little bit about yourself and, and how you got started in the nonprofit industry and where you're at today.
1: Yeah, happy to. You know, so like many folks within the nonprofit space, this wasn't exactly what I went to school for, you know, (laughs) most people find their way, you know, to the nonprofit that they're at through a lot of different routes, but actually went to school for communications and, you know, really thought I'd end up more in the marketing or PR space and certainly spent some some time doing that and had a couple of jobs right out of college that helped me to really understand that whatever it was that I'm going to be doing, you know, for a living needed to be something that I was truly passionate about. You know, I I learned really quickly that, you know, just a paycheck at the end of the day wasn't quite enough to really inspire me. And so I had a, had an opportunity to really take a look at what was fulfilling me and what I wanted from sort of my broader career when my husband and I made the decision to pick up and move our lives from Michigan to Ohio. And, you know, not everybody gets that chance to really just take a pause and, you know, really refocus. But throughout a a few month period, I found my way to the American Heart Association and knew from the very first interview that I had with the staff there that this was such a great fit for me, an opportunity to take that you know, desire to have more of an impact through my work to the next level. And like most nonprofits, you know, most people that work there have some sort of a mission connection to, you know, the work that's being done. And it, it just was sort of fortuitous that the same time that I was interviewing uh, my husband's cousin, who was young at the time, was diagnosed with a congenital heart defect. And it just oh, wow. sort of timing, it really you know, came together, we I hadn't experienced too much heart disease or stroke in my family. But, you know, seeing a, a young child, you know, being diagnosed with something like that, and, and he's doing amazing. Now he had, you know, a couple of surgeries, yeah. but it just it sort of, really proved that this was a mission that was, no pun intended, closer to my heart than, I, mm-hmm. than I'd than i ever expected. So, um, mm. you know, so found my way to heart. And I always, the last thing I'll say about it is I always sort of joke that this was a while ago, but I found it in the newspaper when nobody else was looking for jobs in the newspaper. <laughs> I circled it in the newspaper. And so sometimes those opportunities, you know, come your way when you're sort of least expecting it.
0: So Brooke, that's super fascinating in, in terms of how you got involved. Involved, especially finding your job at American Hearts in the newspaper. I feel like there's not too many of those uh, those types of advertisements anymore, so that definitely is is a fun story. And with that said, you've been uh, working at American Heart for over a decade. Yeah. I'd love to if you could unpack a little bit more about your career in fundraising and, and what you've enjoyed about working at American Heart uh, in in the fundraising department.
1: Yeah, sure. Happy to share a little bit more. One of the things that I feel most lucky about with the opportunities that I've had with the Heart Association, and what I see, honestly, the association does really well, is to open up paths for development for individuals. Um, So, you know, I I started at a a local office in Cleveland, Ohio, working boots on the ground fundraising with individuals um, and companies around walks, you know, a really good way (laughs) to start to understand how fundraising works at its most grassroots level. And I truly enjoyed that opportunity to work directly with survivors and volunteers who are so passionate about the mission. It really helped me to understand, you know, the day-to-day work that goes into really putting on events and raising money and, and working with organizations at that most grassroots level. And then, you know, throughout the years, I've had the opportunity to work in new and emerging business lines for the organization as, you know, we continue to evolve at both the regional level, you know, the American Heart Association, like many large nonprofits has, you know, broken down the country into specific regions for management and for the ability to really leverage the programs that we've put together in their in the best possible way. And so, you know, I've had the opportunity to work at both the regional level. And then now the current role I'm in is, you know, aligned with our, with our national center, but uh, the sort of the same theme across everything that I have done has been, you know, that the organization is constantly looking at how do we continue to grow our staff, in their role and with new opportunities, but also how do we continue to evolve the work that we're doing so that we can truly meet people where they are and help fund the mission. And so, you know, you'll see folks who've worked at the organization for 20 years, 30 years, you know, it's not abnormal to to celebrate those types of anniversaries. And I know that's the same in a lot of other nonprofits, but not the same in some other parts and other different types of industries. And I think that connection to the mission and the focus on supporting employees really pays off.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I I read a stat somewhere, and don't quote me on this ex- to you know to the actual date, but I read that the average like tenure of a fundraiser in a nonprofit space is just under three years. Ah. and and so yeah, to see, I remember when you know when we were engaging with uh, your team on on the sales side of of working alongside American mm-hmm. Heart, uh, and there was an individual that we were talking with that had been there over twenty years. You know, you've been there for I think twelve, uh, coming on twelve or or over twelve years, and so it speaks to. I think what uh, American Heart, the culture it's created for its its team and employees to see that type of tenure at a, at a nonprofit, and so whatever you guys are doing, it's it's working, and and so so keep it up. So one of the, one of the interesting things I thought, um, and one of the things I was really excited to talk to you about was just the concept of innovation, mm. which is is really kind of the focus of the conversation today. And I noticed that I think it was about five years ago, American Heart basically created a new function, a new sort of business within the organization all around innovation. And so can you talk to us a little bit more about this new business function, what it does, and what types of goals it has to help push the organization forward?
1: Yeah, love to. Super passionate about this part. Yeah, so... (laughs) You know, one of the things that our organization does, um, you know, we set decade long goals, health impact goals. You know, we're going to accomplish this thing over the course of the next decade. A decade is a really long time (laughs) to set goals for, especially when you're trying to, you know, do things like drive human behavior and change health outcomes. And so, you know, the approach that we take in order to set ourselves up to help reach those goals is that we have a three year strategic planning process and that three-year strategic planning process really takes a look at you know every part of our business from fundraising to the science side you know to you know even new and emerging things and says you know how are we doing how is each piece of the work that we're doing helping us get to that decade-long goal? And what do we need to do over the course of the next three years to make sure that we're tracking you know, towards, towards those large, big impact goals that we've set as an organization? So if you roll the clock back a couple of strategic planning cycles ago, um, we realized as an organization that from a revenue generation perspective, um, we were not set up to reach the goals that we needed to from a revenue perspective to fund the work that we do that helps drive the research and the programming and everything we need to really make those health impact goals Um, And ultimately end heart disease and stroke, which is what we're all trying to do, work ourselves out of a job. But as we looked at, you know, currently how we were doing business as a nonprofit organization from revenue generation standpoint, we, we understood that we needed to be more disruptive you know, we don't want to get rid of the things that we're doing that are working so well for us, like our Heart Walk program, which was, you know, the top peer-to-peer fundraising program this this past year, um, and some of our other long-standing programs like, you know, our youth markets programs. But at the same time, we knew we needed to push ourselves and that in order to continue to do what we were doing and hold on to those things that work really well for us as an organization and innovate, We couldn't ask the people who are driving what was going really well to also think about innovation, because we all know how that works. (laughs) Um, You know, you focus on the things you know how to do and you feel really comfortable doing and continue to be successful. And the other stuff that can sometimes be hard, you know, challenging, kind of gets pushed down to the list. And so as part of that strategic planning process, they carved out this innovation team, very small team, Uh, for for a little bit, it was just me, but, you know, carved out this, this innovation function within the organization, specifically focused on, you know, the fundraising, volunteer engagement, you know, that sort of engine of driving the revenue within the organization. And so, you know, goals you asked about, those have certainly evolved over time. But if you look at what has remained the same is that, We've always said this innovation function needs to do two things, really look at what we're doing now, those core special events, those core fundraising programs, and find ways within their structure to continue to innovate within program. So, you know, bringing new technology in, you know, a new focus here or there, not completely changing the program, but allowing it to continue to grow and, you know, but still stay sort of true to itself. And then the second part of the role and this function of innovation within our organization is to be paying attention to what's happening outside the American Art Association bubble, right? So mm. what are the trends both within the nonprofit space, but within the world, like what's happening? How are people connecting? How are people engaging? What are the new technology platforms? and allow this, this function to be able to pay attention to that, and then figure out ways to apply that to how we can be you know, developing new fundraising and new engagement opportunities um, for the organization. So it's sort of a, a, dual, a dual role, and there's certainly points in time where there's more focus put on how do we evolve our current programs, and then there's other times where the focus is more focused. You know, really on how do we develop that new next yeah. program that the organization needs.
0: I, I wonder too, if jumping into this exercise of of looking at, you know, new opportunities for engaging individuals and new ways to to raise revenue and, and ways to optimize kind of existing channels, my bet would be, and perhaps I'm wrong, is that as you kind of went through this evaluation, you also realized that your donor demographic was <laughs> an older demographic. And in order to, and you know, with the goals that you have, you know, to cure heart disease and and whatnot, like it might outlive the age of of your you know your key donor demographic yeah. in terms of the work that needs to be done. And so, how much of the focus around your innovation has been to also look at acquiring this new demographic of donors, you know, millennials and and so forth, at, to be a part of the new type of donors and supporters? How much of your focus is on 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 that side of innovating as well?
1: It's a great question. Um, incredibly important. You know, again, as part of that strategic planning process, we really look at who who is the HA donor today. And you know, we've always been relatively diversified, meaning programs go red for women, focused on women, heartball certainly focused on a dim- different demographic then what is now heart challenge, but what was you know just heart walk for a while, which is very corporate, you know. But you are right; we tended to our our very and and still still today, but where things are changing. But our very core demographic is is a woman between the ages of about. 40 and 55, right? Like that's really still the the sweet spot. And we age up on some programs and we age down on some programs like our youth market. But we did identify, you know, this gap that we had as an organization when I first started in this role five six years ago, it was as how do we really engage millennials more deeply, and that's still certainly a focus for us. But as the millennials' lifestyles have you know changed over the past five years, I would say that we've even doubled down on how do we engage Gen Z or Zoomers, depending on who you're talking yep. to for how I want to call this group. But yeah, you know we approach innovation from you know sort of a design thinking approach, and so we we really look at, you know, what are we solving for? Not, you know, what's the solution, but what are we really trying to solve for as an organization? And the engagement of, you know, sort of younger audiences has certainly been an area of focus for us, especially understanding how differently Gen Z or Zoomers want to interact with charity and just with the world in general, even from millennials, let alone boomers, right? There's right. really vast differences in how you know, to best approach these audiences and engage them that we have you know, over the past couple of years really put a significant focus on developing our programs you know, to really meet that key important audience.
0: Yeah, no, that's, that's great. And one of the other things you said that stuck out to me was, you know, you talked about creating sort of strategic planning over like a three-year period, which, you know, focuses on, are we getting close to what we're trying to accomplish in the next decade? How is that set up? Like, How does your team know if you're getting closer, if the targets are being hit, whether it's revenue, whether it's impact, what sort of process or programs are in place internally to help the team track towards that, you know, decade-long goal and vision?
1: Yeah, decade's a really long time. (laughs) <laughs> you know, being a health based organization, we truly rely for the, the decade long goals and sort of like health impact goals that we're all, you know, sort of focused on. We rely on the National Institutes of Health, you know, they track all of these really important metrics. And the, the thing that's sometimes tricky about it is because it's such a, you know, in-depth process to track health metrics, they're always, you know, they're not real time. It's not, you know, we live in a world where right. we expect, you know, you order something on Amazon, you expect it on your door, if not that day, the, the next day. But some of this health data can, can be a little, a little, you know, sort of delayed because of what it takes. But we really look at that health data around not only, you know, how many people are dying from heart attacks or stroke, but all of the underlying components that we know lead to that, you know, Mm -hmm. from youth health, how youth obesity rates are trending, even hypertension rates are really important for the work that we do. So we have a function within our organization that really focuses on that, the strategic planning process for every part of the organization. And so they are the ones who are focused on, you know, really looking at How is the data? Like, what's the data look like? And then, you know, sort of applying our work that we're doing that we know or we have said is going to target specific parts of that data that we're trying to, you know, move in a positive direction for overall health impact. Um, And then how that works then is, you know, we look at from a development and a fundraising standpoint, you know, that cross intersection, to your point how are we engaging certain generations, certain demographics? What's the percentage of Americans that are involved in the programs that we are currently doing? How does that split across really important things like where people live Mm. and, you know, sort of because there's such a direct connection between zip code and life expectancy because of so many systemic you know barriers that are in place for people who might be in more of an underserved community and so we really look at how is our fundraising work matching up to those key demographics that we need to engage. And not all the time is the fundraising program going to engage the person that, you know, might need the health impact messaging, but, you know, it all sort of plays together. So we have a specific function within the organization that looks at the data and then works directly with, you know, the fundraising teams again on that, three-year process and then check-ins in between to say, okay, how are we tracking? What are the areas of concern that we might need to develop a program for? A really good example of this uh, is specifically around stroke. So historically, we've had a number of different fundraising programs that are really targeted or focused on engaging individuals who've either been affected by stroke or or Mm. caregivers for um, individuals who have had a stroke. And it became really apparent in one of our planning processes that as programs have changed and what people wanted to get involved in has evolved over time, we were really heavy on things that focused on, on heart disease. And so we you know, went to the drawing board and said, okay, great. How can we establish you know a fundraising and education program that really would speak to the stroke audience that also is something that people want to do or feels like relevant right now? Yep. And those were a couple of the nuggets amongst many other factors that led to us developing our cycle nation program, which is a cycling program. And there's a direct connection between cycling and um, rehabilitation from stroke, Hmm. as well as um, cycling as a preventative factor to reduce hypertension, which is one of the major, you know, sort of risk factors for folks who are ha- to have a stroke. And so, you know, we we really look at the health data and the engagement and then develop programs based off of that sort of circle.
0: Got it. That's that's super interesting. I I, I talk a lot about the concept of like relevancy is efficiency in fundraising. Mm. It sounds like the way that your programming works on the fundraising side, it's incredibly relevant to the the topic or the program that you're you're raising for. Uh, which which obviously, you know, connects the donor a, a bit more. And so it's it's super interesting. And something else you said, which kind of transitions to us to kind of like talking a little more tactically here, mm. is you mentioned that about five years ago, the organization realized that it wasn't going to have the funding it needed to achieve, you know, this decade-long sort of goal, which kind of leads to this question of, you know, why do nonprofits need to be strategic about innovation? It mm-hmm. sounds like for for you, it was... We we're not going to have the funding that we need, in, in the next ten years, we got to really you know put the brakes on and, and rethink the way we approach fundraising and innovation and so forth. So, uh, maybe from that perspective, you could share the importance of innovation and how it actually impacts you know the the organization.
1: Yeah, it's a it's a great question. You know, we set big bold goals. That's the type of organization that we are. I mean. We're tracking down the number one killer of Americans. And you know when you've got that in your sights, you have to set really big, bold goals, both from the mission side, but mm. then for the revenue generation to support that mission, right? The revenue drives right. all of the mission work that we do. And so when you look and say, gosh, if we really want to move the needle on these health impact areas, we need to think about how we do business differently, I think COVID is another great example of this. And many organizations were required to innovate very quickly in order to continue to do the great work that we were all focused on doing with really crazy circumstances. But the innovation is crucial because, you know, if we just continue to do things the way that we're doing them today and expect a different outcome, a different health outcome, we're going to be in Pretty big trouble, right? And so, you know, when we look at if we are going to truly do what we're set out to do—end heart disease and stroke, create longer, healthier lives for all—then we have to think differently about how we're doing what it is that we're doing. And so, innovation has always been a core tenet of the organization, and that shift. You know, five-ish years ago, to really carving out an area that sits within our national development team to focus on innovation just shows the commitment that we, as an organization, have to continuing to grow and develop and change. I mean, we're about to celebrate a hundred years. If we kept doing things like we did a hundred years ago as an organization, we'd be where we were a hundred years ago, where when someone had a heart attack, they were, you know, might really not likely to make it or would be bedridden for an extremely long period of time. Now we have people who are able to go in and get a stent and be an outpatient. I mean, Mm. it's incredible to see how, you know, really focusing on innovation from the fundraising side, the revenue generation side just aligns Perfectly with more of the research side of, you know, what's so important to driving our mission forward. So it is incredibly important for us as an organization and I feel very lucky to work at a place like the American Heart Association where from the top down, our leadership, our CEO, down to, you know, across leadership, across the organization, embrace innovation. They find ways when you bring forward a concept or an idea, they find ways for us to be able to try and stretch ourselves you know, and really put ourselves out there sometimes where you don't know <laughs> you don't know what's gonna happen. But if you don't, you know, really take a concerted effort and an approach that is different, I think, than innovation in a for-profit organization where you Maybe have a lot of R and D budget, to, right. you know, to support to support the work that you're doing. We, we innovation we approach a little bit differently in the nonprofit organization, but we do, you know, really say how can we innovate like for profit companies do in order to ensure that we are growing at the rate that we need to grow as an organization again to reach those mission goals, those life saving mission goals.
0: It sounds like there's this like concept around failure, you know fail fast mm-hmm. right It sounds yeah. like you have that flexibility within this innovation team is to like to try and experiment new things, and if it fails that's that's fine, but obviously the faster that you can get to the either the failures the the success, the better. but so many people don't even have that opportunity mm-hmm. you know to even go outside of the box and and to try new things and and to experiment. And so I wonder, like, and, and for some listeners, it could be somewhat opaque in, in regards to, okay, well, where do I even get started yeah. around innovation? Like, do I start with my programs or do I start with my fundraising? And so when you started the innovation function at American Heart, where did you get started? Like, how did you grow into what it is today? What, what, what are some of maybe key things for people to be thinking about as they get started with with creating some sort of innovation function at their nonprofit?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. You know, we started with some of those highlighted areas that we knew we needed to address based off of the strategic planning process, right? So we needed to reach, at that point in time, we were pretty focused on millennials. And so, you know, one of the things that we did right away, because our, one of our greatest assets are our employees. you know we have fundraising staff all across the country and programmatic staff and really, really, really smart people. And so one of the first things that we did was we developed, you know sort of this again, this design thinking problem statement like, a what if statement and put it out there to say, how would you guys solve for this? Like, what would it look like if the American Heart Association was able to engage a certain percentage of millennials across the country? And the ideas that people came up with were amazing, um, inspirational. You know, they certainly led us to some of the things that we're doing today, you know, Nonprofit organizations generally have people who are focused on a very specific job function. But when given the opportunity to think about a problem or you know something, an innovation challenge outside of what they do every day, I imagine you know there's some really great ideas to be mined. Um, yeah just through sort of tapping into such a great resource. So we certainly started, we started there. That also really allowed for us to help talk about innovation differently as an organization, to say, we've always done innovation, but now we have a focus, a real laser focus on it. And, you know, we have a function. So if you have ideas, here's where you come, here's how you raise these things up. Mm. It also allowed us to identify those individuals who would be interested in helping us test you you mentioned, you know, fail fail fast, <laughs> we'll iterate, scale, you know. So, totally. you know, when you are working, you know, in a nonprofit organization, you don't have, you know, years to develop products. You have shorter periods of time to test either new strategies or new approaches. And we certainly had individuals through that initial asking for ideas, innovation challenge process that came to the top as the ones who were thinking differently, who are really interested in, in innovation. And so they were the ones that also we went to to say, hey, we want to test this thing. We want to try this thing. Can we do this over the course of you know two months within your market? Let's set all of the KPIs together so we all really know whether it works or it doesn't work and start small. A pilot can be really, really manageable for anybody to do as long as, again, you're focused on before you even start, what does success actually mean? What are the things you want to track and how are you going to track those so that you can If you fail or succeed, you can identify it really quickly, you know, and you can also, you know, sort of course correct if need be. But then it allows you to to hone in and say, okay, well, this this clearly didn't work. We gave ourselves a specific period of time with very specific KPIs to track against. Maybe we need to tweak it, or let's scale it and start to build and see if the initial pilot holds up as we add in, you know, sort of additional markets or additional programs to try whatever the the innovation is. But I think the key factor is is to truly understand before you even test something, what success is. We got caught up a few times when we were not as clear as we needed to be. And that yeah. became really clear really quickly that we needed to make sure everybody was aligned with what success looked like before we started.
0: Yeah, no, that's that's a great point. And you know, I think oftentimes it typically it when you launch something new or when you're trialing something, it's it's not usually a failure or a success—it's usually somewhere in the middle. And like yeah. you mentioned, iterating on top of it, understanding, all right, like if we if we pull this one lever, it might get us you know twenty percent closer to what we're trying to accomplish. And so, really, really iterating on top of your go-to-market is important. Something else you mentioned, which I, I really want to underscore, because I think this is so important. It sounds like it was pretty pivotal in in the early stages for uh, the creation of your innovation team. Is this concept that's referred to often as zero gravity thinking? which basically is when you have a problem, you have a problem that you've identified, the best way to solve it is to bring people in that don't have the domain expertise for that specific problem. right? And yeah. so as you're thinking about fundraising, right, if you just talk to a bunch of fundraisers, we're going to get a lot of the same sort of tactics and advice and strategies. But if you bring in program people or operations people or people outside of the normal fundraising function, you're gonna get all sorts of ideas that allow you to go outside of the box, outside of the, the the guidelines, you know, our minds are get so molded to. And so it sounds like there was a real collaborative effort in, in in imagine still is today, but in the early stages of developing this innovation team of to bring in the company, to bring in everyone who would be interested in in helping, you know, ideate and innovate on the future of American Heart. And so I, I wanted to underscore that because as you were talking through that, it reminded me of the zero gravity thinking concept. When tackling big problems, it often requires you know people from other domains to be a part of, uh, to have the most effective results. And so it, it sounds like, I don't know if, if I, I don't want to misspeak for you, but it sounds like you that's what you did is you brought in all sorts of different types of backgrounds to, to solve the problems that you guys were, were going after.
1: Yeah, you're absolutely correct. You know, it was amazing what some of the ideas that came out of individuals who had nothing to do with fundraising.
0: <laughs> yeah. You know,
1: even like even our marketing team who, you know, sits close to fundraising but it's certainly not focused on fundraising. Right. We there was someone that I was like, they should be a fundraiser. Why are they doing <laughs> marketing communication? But yes, uh, you know, the diversity of thought, the diversity of experience is such an incredibly important thing when you're when you're trying to solve, right, solve a problem. And, you know, it's like when you proofread a paper 10 times, you miss the same mistakes and then you give it to someone else to look at. And it's like, oh, gosh, there's 10 mistakes right here.
0: Incredibly important. Awesome. Well, I want to end with this final question yeah. and it's, it's kind of leads up to everything we've been talking about, but how has American heart created a culture of in, in, innovation, mm-hmm. right? Because if what I've found is on a team, if, if there's one, you know, incredibly innovative person, if the culture doesn't think that way, or if the culture doesn't allow for for innovation, that can quickly get snuffed out. And so how have you uh, been a part of just creating this culture of innovation where people are excited to try new things, excited to really push the envelope, uh, whether it's on the program or fundraising side? So how, how do you create this type of culture?:
1: Oh gosh, yeah, it's interesting too, because I've certainly seen it evolve in, in the time that I've been here at the organization. I would say, you know, currently our CEO from the top down just supports innovation at every single level, even just, you know, when we have our live stream events where they bring the company together to talk about what's happening, that it's called innovation at heart, right? So Mm. everything is really focused on how we as an organization are really looking at innovation to help continue to drive us forward. So I would say it certainly starts from the top down, but if it were just at the top, it wouldn't work, right? You know, that it really does have to be embedded in how we as an organization interact I think some of it is is truly just through leadership um, being supportive when someone has an idea to the point where you know if there are ideas that come up we will encourage people to go and put together a small group to to figure them out and I and you know the innovation team are certainly there to help support them but innovation doesn't just live in brooks world right it's right. it's that it truly is embedded throughout everything that we do there it's also something that i think we when we did have the ability to bring people together we sort of set up these ongoing workshops where we would present another problem, right, that we're trying to solve for as an organization and bring different people together um, in person for a day of really figuring out and spending the time to focus on that problem that we're trying to solve. And then we shared that very widely across the organization. Hey, we brought this think tank together. This is what we were working on. So people understood that, again, innovation didn't just live in this little innovation bubble. It was something that many people were called to be a part of. and many people were sort of held up as being innovators. We also give people some, you know, sort of leeway to try things within their role that I don't have to be involved in and say, Hey, if it works, bring it back. We'll look at how do we, you know, really operationalize or put together a more formalized pilot. I'd love for us to get to Mm. the point of like a 3M, right? A very innovative company where they gave people a certain specific time of their overall work time yeah. to to work on any type of innovation projects that they have. You know, we're maybe not as, as formalized <laughs> as 3M, but it is certainly encouraged for everyone to look for what is the next thing that they can be doing within the role that they're currently in to expand, to engage new audiences, to take their program to the next level. And then we celebrate those widely as an organization when somebody tries something, yeah. we really do make sure to spread that. Loud and wide, so yeah, it's yeah, it's, no, it's certainly growing.
0: Yeah, no, that's that's awesome. Here, I, I truly believe that all people, everyone, inherently wants to solve problems. Yeah, and so when you're able to clearly depict the problem you're trying to solve and create space and opportunity for people to be a part of solving that problem, that's where innovation happens. Uh, you know, it, it reminds me of even like a, a story from Google where. where you know, they would give their team, you know, like very similar to 3M, just mm-hmm. time in their workday to work on something completely different than their normal project, right? And this is how Gmail got created. It was some mm. random engineer who solved this, this a communication problem across the company and created Gmail. And uh, it was because this person had space to think about a, a specific problem, to think about a solution for that problem, and then to a- actually execute on it. And so. Yeah, totally align with the philosophy that you've created to promote what the problem is that you're trying to solve and give people the ability to have a voice in, in solving it. And so thank you so much for all of this, the wisdom. Uh, I feel like this is a 35 minute packed full of super practical things for nonprofit leaders and fundraisers and really anyone in, in the space to really think through how to help take the organization to the next level. And Brooke, thank you for, for joining the podcast today. Thank you for being a guest. And we're excited to continue uh, partnering with American Heart for the foreseeable future.
1: Well, thank you, Justin. Pleasure.
0: Awesome. Have a great day. Thanks. You too. Thanks for listening to this episode of Nonstop Nonprofit. This podcast is brought to you by your friends at Fundraise, nonprofit fundraising software built by nonprofit people. If you'd like to continue the conversation, find me on LinkedIn or text me at 562 242 Eight one six zero. And don't forget to get your next episode the second it hits the internets. Go to nonstop nonprofitpodcast.com and sign up for email notifications today. See you next time.